Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. On January 21st, 2017, the Amarant Foundation hosted a presentation entitled Native Voices, Indigenous American and Red Ink Literary Festival. Today on 30 Minutes, we'll feature some of the speakers. Up first is host and MC Simon Ortiz. He's an Acoma Pueblo native and Regents professor in the English department at Arizona State University. He'll be followed by Henry Oso Quintero Apache, a faculty member at ASU and manager of Red Ink Journal. Finally, we'll hear from current Tucsonan Bill Wetzel. This is part one of a multi-part series. Thank you. And good morning. Good morning. And Haupa. In my native language of Keras, which is of Acoma Pueblo, that I'm a tribal member of, that's how you say good morning and hello, how are you? It's very good to see you, and I'm glad that uh, we're able to do this uh, again. We've been here for several years uh, at this time of season. Sometimes it hasn't been so cold, but this morning it's a little chilly, right? I'm from uh, Aco, or Acoma Pueblo, and I live, of course, uh, locally in the area in uh, Tempe, where I'm a professor, like uh, Eric said, and I'm a writer, a poet, and a storyteller, and sometimes a singer. And it's always good to be a part of the occasion when people get together, like we are. Who come together because they are part of a community. You know, because people always have a community with each other. Community means a sense of belonging with others a sense of um, uh, being part of a unified uh, whole. And we are, of course, a community of human beings uh, all over the world. Locally, of course, we mean this region, you know, this region of southern Arizona. And Native American people are part of the Hanu. It's still the same reasoning goes that people belong with other people. We are all part of the community of this part of Arizona. Well, today we have uh, readers of poetry and storytellers and uh, so forth. And uh, uh, I want to welcome you to meet uh, each person. What we'll do is we'll have four readers uh, in the first half and then we'll take a short break for about 10 minutes so you can get a chance to look at our uh, publications on the table in the next room, uh, including Red Ink. Red Ink is a journal that used to be published at the University of Arizona, but uh, Arizona, University of Arizona is no longer the site uh, for where it's done now because it's at ASU, Arizona State University in Tempe. And so we have two issues that we have published since within this past year. One in April of 2016, and then the latest one being November 
2016 as well. And our next issue is out in April. Hopefully we'll be, uh, we will be on time, I know that. But uh, last time uh, in November it was a little bit late. But better late than never, right? <laughs> well, the readers today, I'll, I'll introduce them briefly. And then when they read, they can uh, tell you more about themselves. The first one will be Henry Oso Quintero, and he is uh, uh, Apache, uh, and he is uh, uh, a former graduate uh, with a PhD. Uh, I was also his uh, advisor at, uh, at ASU. In fact, he's the reason I'm in Arizona, right? <laughs> so Henry is also a very good poet and a storyteller. And then we have uh, Bill Wetzel. Bill Wetzel is part of this community now, but he's uh, uh, originally from the Blackfeet country up north in Montana. And of course, uh, uh, Blackfeet also extend across the border into, uh, into Canada, where uh, some people use the word Blackfoot. I, uh, it's, it's, it's up to them who they are and what they know of themselves. But Bill's a good storyteller as well as a, a poet on occasion. And I would like to invite now uh, Henry to come and share his poetry. This is just like Austin City Limits, only a little bit different. <laughs> uh, my name's Henry Quintero. I just want to tell you guys, Gajolpe, uh, buenos dias, good morning. Um, it's a real honor to be here. I thank the museum for having us and, and for you to spend some time out of your day listening to us. Um, I'm uh, uh, teaching out at ASU. I help with Red Ink Magazine. Um, Simon was uh, telling you that he was, uh, uh, he was really the chair of my <laughs> dissertation committee. I couldn't have done it without Simon, so I want to thank him again, and, and um, really what um, my graduate goals were is growing up as, as someone part of the uh, indigenous community, part of the Apache community, part of a, a larger uh, understanding of, of what it means to be uh, uh, Nakayani, Mexican as well, um, that uh, I knew that there was a whole poetry for that, that spanned back as far as the Grecian poetry um, that had to do with Azechopa, Hosh, Peyote, um, and that we had a retinue of songs, not just in Native American church, but, but in all these uh, traditions of, 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 of religiosity and what it means to be human and alive. And uh, I write about that a lot now. And so when I write about when I write poems now, I like to go by Bacini. I had this bad experience that there's a, uh, a very decorated professor at, uh, at Duke named uh, Lori Marie Carlson. She, she took one of my poems early in my career and she put it in a, took an excerpt from it and made it into a children's book. And um, so I figured if I go by Bacini, there's going to be a lot less people that are willing to. <laughs> um, so. Um, this is, uh, I, you know, I just look around the room and, and, and it's, 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 uh, I look at all these paintings and I can't help but reflect on San Diego and Tijuana. Uh, so uh, 
I'm going to uh, read some poems from down south. Some of it's kind of like microfriction, I guess. This is this is this this happened. This poem happened like uh, right north of San Diego. It's it's called When You Hit the Drum So Hard You Listen. It was an old Kiowa man on the north side toward my drum space that prayed with a big corn husk of tobacco mix in the early morning under the stars in the Kumeyaay. Hills, the stars slowly brushed over with the wet cotton ocean air shushed over the scrub oaks, a toddler's wind blowing eastward, this breath of life, the kiss of morning mist mixing with the pop of that old man's partial as he prayed. He prayed for his great-grandson, who while his sonny boy, his great-granddaughter-in-law, had conceived him in love, knowing that it was a night under the stars and all that was shown with light upon creation, that his grandson was conceived like that on a good Friday night, payday steak dinner on the beach like that, under the stars next to the ocean, in love, a young Navy career from Oklahoma, you going somewhere, his second year in San Diego bringing grandpa over. That old man knew, however, that they made a home in a box, slept in a box, that his sonny boy went away to a naval base driving in a box with four wheels. Later, as she came closer, she would go in that same box over and over to see a doctor that told them that everything would be all right. Wolf gray braids and red and blue cotton cloth swung just before the edge of swept earth where the ashes of tobacco and that non-tong, that corn husk, felt like gray snow moistened in fog. When the boy was about to be born, they stepped out on the box and into the boxes with wheels drove to a huge box with a lot of doctors and nurses who covered their faces with masks. He said in his prayer that they must be ashamed of what they do, how they treat women folk like that. He prayed on, but his, his granddaughter-in-law, he prayed on on how they put his granddaughter-in-law on a rectangular table box when their beautiful son was born, all his fingers and toes, with all the consciousness of being a perfect human baby. His resonance toward the lit ends of his smoke rose cherry as he, how he told the fire that they put that baby in a plexiglass box and wheeled his little body into a huge square room where his grandfather, Grandpa Keaton, could look at him through a big rectangular window. That old man, he cried and cried that his grandson would know a world, a life out of a box. He prayed that he would see his grandson and his family live a good life. And when he got past old and stopped breathing, that these people, those ones with mass, would not bury him in a box so he could touch the earth, so he could be the earth. He wanted to continue to cradle his grandson's feet when he stepped out of that box like his grandparents did for him to introduce him to that sun shining round on the horizon, bending the darkness like an arching bow. This, um, I wrote this for a, a, a real close friend. She, she read here before, her name's Allison Ramirez. She's awesome. She, this is, I wrote this for her going off to graduate school, really um, happy to see another Native person getting a PhD. Before you left for Salt, 
It is in these quiet mornings with the cactus friend explaining how tired he is about the appearance of grackles who have no boss and come in these early morning May rains in the desert that will pop fingers of choya buds like baby hands wiggling out a swaddle. After these second chances with dole with water, I see gray thunder of my own reflection of mud at the head of a great snake, and I imagine you as a child Ijoni, absolutely loved by the earth so badly that somehow, some way, the only the purest parts of the desert and maze befell you that it was under the authority of a great sorcerer riding the back of a Harris hawk that the trolls kept a perimeter and the serpents and the stingers made a space for you like a magnet charged in the negative. You will always be afforded that light, that special quiet love in the heat of monsoon that vibrates in cicadas, that slight breath of the earth where your own steps upturned, the red dust on sandstone ruminating, our love for water to be held in the grace of hydration, our bellies filled with water. Before the thunder cracks in August, when the beans climb and the rain fills to Nahas with all those places where our sandals scattered mica, where the cow hair of the bottoms of my shoes will wash the trail marked on by a stick by a song. You are listening to remarks made at Native Voices, Indigenous American and Red Ink Literary Festival, which was held at the Ameren Foundation on January 21, 2017. Up next, we'll hear from storyteller, tweeter, and current Tucsonan Bill Wetzel. I'm Skapi Pikuni, a.k.a. Blackfeet from Montana. Give another hand to my son, Henry Quintero. You try to raise your kids right, and then they end up still being 47-year-old ASU professors. So. <laughs> My son is somehow older than I am. I guess I was an experienced zygote. <laughs> so give a hand to Simon Ortiz for organizing this. It's a lot of pressure, really, to uh, read with a legend, but, uh, I mean, me, not Simon. So. <laughs> I am an avid tweeter, and I'll warm you up with some tweets. Uh, I did some Trump tweets, and when I first did it, it was a little too close to the election, and people were saying too soon, so we'll see if it's too soon yet. I can't wait to find out who shot America in the first episode of, of the upcoming final season. If I wanted an angry, unhinged tweeter with a narcissistic personality disorder to be president, I would have voted for myself. <laughs> In the Chinese New Year, 2017 is the year of the fiery rooster. It makes so much sense that this is the year of the flaming orange <laughs> This was an election of competing philosophies. Whether you believe that it takes a village, or as American, America apparently has decided, that it takes a village idiot. Some dude spent 26 grand in plastic surgery to look like David Beckham, yet it's taken me decades of hard work to look like Danny DeVito. <laughs> Just when you think racism couldn't get any worse, Kanye West says he might leave the country because of it, and racism totally redeems itself. <laughs> I, was, I was doing some research on Crazy Horse for a, a story, so I, 
I came up with some Crazy Horse facts. After his mother's death, Crazy Horse's aunt helped raise him. Her name was Good Looking Woman. I think I know a few of her descendants. <laughs> Crazy Horse was once shot in the face after he stole another man's wife, which makes me wonder if he didn't have some black feet in him. <laughs> Crazy Horse had a seven foot tall cousin named Touch the Clouds. Meanwhile, due to my underhanded nature, I most resemble my five foot tall ancestor, Snake in the Dirt. <laughs> I like to write a uh, little microfiction, and so here's a. Uh, Here's one that I wrote uh, about a year ago. It's called After the Day He Was Laid to Rest. Among his personal effects, they found a whiskey-fueled love letter addressed to the most gorgeous woman in the world. This is called uh, Enemy Way. And I got the idea for this. I read, uh, there's a poem by James Welch called Arizona Highways. And he has a, a character in there with the name Ulinda. And I always wanted to use that name for something, so I used it in this. Enemy Way. She knows me in her chindy dream, James Welch. Yulinda, she was 20, a girl, lithe in a pair of blue jeans with a big black belt cinched firmly around her hips. She walked clockwise around a row of desks and sat next to him. Yulinda, he mouthed to himself. Now that was a name he could live with. Yulinda, she is 30, a little woman in a black dress with a white scarf. She comes to him in the night standing over his bed, before walking counterclockwise to the air conditioner, then back again. He shivers from the cold. She rests upright next to his pillow and looms perpendicular over his recumbent body. She is black-souled and hollow-eyed. Yulinda, he whispers. The breath turns, his breath turns to frost, and he can see each letter form in the gelid air. She reaches toward him with a hyphen. The letters in her name hang in the air for a moment and dissipate. E-U-L-Y-N-D-A. Now that is a name he could die for. About a month and a half ago, I went to Standing Rock, and I was actually at this ceremony where uh, Wes Clark Jr., who uh, invited me to go, I know him a little bit, and uh, uh, he was a member of the 7th Cavalry, and he asked for forgiveness from the uh, Sioux people. And I was at the ceremony where they gave it to him. And it was one of the most powerful things I've ever witnessed. And this isn't really a, a finished product, but I thought it's kind of timely, so I'll read this to you. It's called Visions. This is for John Bird, Wes Clark Jr., and the Water Protectors. One night, while Bear Medicine was staying at his dad's ranch on the Blackfeet Reservation in Montana, a vision came to him. In it, he was a hunter on horseback, riding through a cut bank alongside a lazy stretch of river. He came upon an elderly woman calling for help, submerged in mud at the edge of the water. He recognized her as one of the old time people. With urgency, Bear Medicine got off his bay horse to help her. And as he attempted to pull the old woman out, blood came pouring from her nose and mouth. She spoke in staccato as she said to him, I am Mother Earth. The blood now came out of his, her eyes and ears. It trickled crimson into the water, effusing farther and farther downstream. They have come to suck my blood and it hurts, she said. When he looked up, it was like viewing the world through a filter. Everything around him was red. As he held her, the old woman gasped over and over, save me, save me. 
In the week before he went to Standing Rock, North Dakota, Bear Medicine made sure his affairs were in order. Later, he heard Lakota military veterans had done the same thing. Like him, they vowed to die guarding the water protectors at Standing Rock if necessary. Like him, they volunteered for the front lines. He jokingly told friends, I will you my porn collection, or take good care of my pressure cooker, or if I die, avenge me. In the back of his mind, he thought of the water cannons in sub-zero weather, the pepper spray, the tear gas. He thought of the young woman who had her arm blown off by a concussion grenade. Publicly, the community was supportive. We are so proud of you for standing up for this. Privately, those closest to him tried to convince him to stay. This made him disturbed and agitated, but he knew he had to go. Bear Medicine walked through Ochetti Second Wind Camp for several hours. He was alone when the news broke. The Army Corps of Engineers would not be giving the pipeline its final necessary permit. The battle was over. No, that is not accurate. If there's one thing being indigenous teaches you, is that a battle is not over until it is really over. As the people in camp celebrated, he continued walking, thinking. The words of the old woman echoed in his mind, save me, save me. He would not have had to, he would not have to step on the front lines today or tomorrow. In a way, this was an empty feeling for him. <coughs> the warrior part of bear medicine wanted the test, but this was a better way, a peaceful way. And for the moment, it was good enough. Once, as kids, Bear Medicine's cousin told him a story about a vision the great Oglala Lakota warrior Crazy Horse had. As the story went, Crazy Horse envisioned a time when people of all colors would be standing on a hill together. They would band together to fight against a greater evil and they would win. And from that point on, they would be as one. Bear Medicine wondered if he had just witnessed Crazy Horse's vision come true. Was Standing Rock the place of many colors? It felt more complex than that. There were so many battles to be fought. The fight for Badger II Medicine on his reservation. Protecting Oak Flat from mining interests in Arizona. The uranium mines poisoning Navajo water. And Standing Rock. There will always be Standing Rock. He knew inside that fight and all the others were far from over. He knew Crazy Horse's vision was much more encompassing than just one place at one time that people of all colors, genders, sexual orientations, political ideologies, and other backgrounds would have to unite all around the world to win this war. One night, while in the desert, a vision came to him. He was in the passenger seat of a car, driving, uh, driving along an icy road in a blizzard. He came across a young indigenous man in a wrecked pickup truck on the side of a disconsolate highway. He jumped out of the car and ran toward him. He recognized the man as a steward of the earth, one of the water protectors. Bear Medicine pried open the passenger door and reached in to pull the man out of the truck. Blood poured from the man's nose. He struggled to get the man out of the vehicle and onto the frozen ground. He held him as blood poured from his eyes and ears. He looked up to see if help was coming. The car he was in was gone. Visibility was almost non-existent in the storm. Everything was white. They were all alone. And Bear Medicine whispered to himself, save me, save me. Thank you.
That was Bill Wetzel speaking at Native Voices Indigenous American and Red Ink Literary Festival, which was held at the Ameren Foundation on January 21, 2017. Today's speakers also included host and MC Simon Ortiz, Acoma Pueblo Native and Regents Professor in the English Department at Arizona State University. And we heard from Henry Oso Quintero, Apache, a faculty member at ASU and manager of Red Ink Journal. This has been part one of a multi-part series. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Shager.